0: Welcome back to 64 a chess podcast. I'm your host, David. I'm joined by National Master Opal Menon. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, man. Bipolar weather here in Chicago, but you know, hot one day, super cold another. So,
0: (laughs) so I've gotten, I got Nebraska, I've gotten Detroit and now I've got Chicago. So we now have the, uh, you know, we've covered a lot of the Midwest at this point.
1: Mm -hmm. And then Um, what, Texas, Israel for your coach?
0: Yes. Yes. My coach was is in Israel and then, uh,
1: Texas. I thought, I thought he was going to school in Texas. That's why.
0: Uh, Oh, I think, I think he's, he's, I think, yeah, I think he has a friends in Texas actually. That's really okay. funny. You mentioned that. Um, yeah, well anyway, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about, uh, about, about tests. And, um, first thing I want to talk about is, uh, you told me that you are writing a book. So I'm wondering if you could uh, talk about that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, so I like a lot of people that know me well and have talked about this on previous podcasts uh, is like, like they would know my favorite, like probably I would say one of my favorite books of all time, definitely one of my favorites written in the last uh, four or five years is Under the Surface by Jan Marcos. And it's a really kind of unique format uh, because he has like these very short, digestible uh like chess strategy concepts just kind of re-examined in a very unique way um one of my friends national master Akash Meduri told me he thought the book came across as rather playful uh and I agree it's it's a very charming book and uh I've always wanted to write a book and yeah that was just the inspiration for that I read it I reread it you know probably like six times in my life. And I reread it like at least twice in the last year. So uh, yeah, it just kind of uh, inspired me to get started on another book or on, on just a book in general. Um, and it's basically going to be about like opening strategy or opening concepts, just kind of re-examined. And one of my obsessions, like whether I'm doing opening research or you know, whether I'm trying to teach a concept is to fill gaps in existing literature. So I want to try to give knowledge that has been passed down to me from like other grandmasters, like stuff that's not in the books. And yeah, that's just kind of uh, what I'm doing right now.
0: So what goes into uh, writing a book? Are you like using chess base to, you know, kind of scour through variations? Are you just, uh, you know, like you said, you're using more like conventional knowledge that was passed down to you? Are you like trying to rekindle conversations with other people? Like, how exactly do you structure the book writing process?
1: Well, actually, it's funny you ask that, because the the actual organization part of the book was just a nightmare. I couldn't decide how I wanted to do it. Um, so I think I found some format that I, I like, but, um, as far as the writing process goes, uh, like I'll have a concept uh explain it obviously and then use supporting examples. So uh as naturally as a chess teacher now for you know over 10 years 10 plus years I've collected like some examples I feel like are very uh important for illustrations of certain themes like <clears throat> cl- like a classic game given in a lot of books to exploit a space advantage would be considered like Capablanca tribal, 1929. And so it's kind of like that. Like I I firmly believe in the use of typical examples to show themes. Some of these things I've found in opening analysis, some of them I've found in other books and some of them I've just stumbled across them randomly. Um, Like I, I could stumble across them examining a player's repertoire, I could see an interesting game in a recent tournament, and uh, like I have like on my phone just a bunch of examples saved on the chess base app there, but I am uploading them to Leecha so I can consult with people um, easier. And as far as the conversations are concerned, I hope to have a couple of interviews, one with a grandmaster and his like views on the opening, opening preparation, and then another one with a correspondence grandmaster and we sort of get an insight into both worlds uh, over the board laboratory and the, you know, super scientific correspondence laboratory.
0: Yeah. Because in, in correspondence chess, even from my experience, I think my correspondence writing is like horrible, but you really do cook up some crazy stuff when you, cause you have the time, like if you have a couple of days to make a movie, mm-hmm. um, so that is, that is fascinating.
1: Does your book have a uh, target audience? Yeah. I mean, like i think anybody over 2000 or 1800 could like some am- ambitious players but it really it's it, it, like they could learn a lot i mean players lower than that 1600 um and possibly even lower you know they could they could get something from it i think one of the best parts of uh of chess books like which i grew up like reading chess books we didn't have so many videos or or like no streaming or anything like that. So like I, throughout my career, I've revisited like lots of chess books multiple times and each time I got something different like from the same book. And so uh, hopefully it's kind of a book that, you know people can find it interesting enough to do that. But basically I hope it's gonna be cool uh, like fascinating enough um, in that like I want it to appear like it's a feast of fighting chess, you know, interesting chess. I'll, you know, I'll give away some novelties and some important lines too that I've cooked up over the years. So.
0: Now when you're, um, when you are writing a chess book, uh, are you going to be, are you talking to like a publishing company now? Are you, uh, like, like, you know, there's like quality chess and Batsford and all those, or is it going to be more like a self-published
1: thing? You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You, you, ask that question. Like i <clears throat> I'm not talking to any publishing companies right now. I want to have, um, I, I have like almost all the examples that I want. Uh, it's just a matter of like inputting them and in the proper way and like annotating them and just the, the prose organization. Those are the most difficult parts. Um, but I'm strongly considering self-publishing at the moment because like who would want to publish a book by a national master? Like i have i have some i have some accomplishments like uh, you know I've been over twenty five hundred in blitz for the like over the board for like the last seven or eight years except for a few points when I dip below um but I've maintained it for the most part. I even beat Carlson in a blitz game I made a youtube video about that um you know I've won like a few tournaments here around the midwest and I've also been a second for. Uh, Grandmaster Nikola Mitkov since like late 2014. So, I mean, I'm not I and I don't really fancy myself as like your average national master, but still, you need like some more credentials, uh, you know, for these some of these publishing companies to, um, you know, to find you attractive. So, it'll probably be a self-published thing, but but who knows? Um, I also want to make a push for like international master and beyond when tournaments resume more consistently. So
0: so I've asked a couple of people on the podcast already but are you planning on playing in the Chicago Open?
1: Uh yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um yeah, I got I got my second shot. Um you know, I I had covid back in November. So it's really nothing to mess around with, but um you know, I'm I'm just really itching to play over the board again in a in a safe way.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, I agree. I definitely have that itch as well. Um, That's great that you got vaccinated. Uh, When you uh, when you talk about uh, chess improvement with other students, uh, do you? For for me, I found that it's like when I'm watching my friends play, um, because I've done some coaching for my friends. It's much easier for me to like kind of uh, tell people how to improve, and then when I need to like use the same advice in a game, I kind of just tunnel and. Mm So do you find that you kind of have the the same issue or d- does your improvement at this point require something more concrete?
1: Uh, I mean, a little bit of both, you know. Um, once you step in the arena, you realize like how difficult it is. Um, and then it, at any point, like as a student gets higher rated, basically the improvement becomes a lot more nuanced. And so that's where you need like some maybe some more experienced help. You know, luckily enough, I'm friends with a lot of grandmasters that have given me, you know, great advice. I wouldn't be where I am now without them at all. Um, and a lot of encouragement as well to keep on going. So, uh, but yeah, you you do kind of need like somebody a bit more experienced to, you know, give you these little like nuggets of knowledge that are otherwise invisible. Um, yeah. But if it was so easy to improve at higher levels, everybody would just be like, you know, improving just constantly like that. So
0: Right. And, you know, what's, what's also interesting is you know, obviously there's been this chess boom that I've talked about at great length on the podcast um, that I'm sure you're aware of uh, and in the United States anyway. And there's a lot of video content online for, I think, players mm-hmm. between zero and fifteen hundred. And I Mm. think that um, just the majority of people have either I I think most people who are affected by this like chess boom are never going to get to that level purely either because they're not playing that much or not interested. So I think there kind of becomes this like dearth of content once you get to that level. And it's like, for me, I've only really improved in chess through videos up until I want to say about like 1500, 1400, and then I started Mm -hmm. like buying books and stuff like that.
1: Um, So
0: I'm very excited for a book in that sense
1: oh yeah uh thank you i mean it's it's kind of i don't know it it feels i don't want to say it's like a, a dying art or anything like that to write chess books like there will always be a demand um you know for chess books like you see the the volume at which uh it's like specific opening books or like opening repertoire books come out um you know mine's a little bit different from that as we already talked about but um like, I, I hadn't really improved, like, much through videos throughout the years, simply because, like, I started, I played my first tournament, I think, in, like, late 2002, and so we didn't have uh, much video content, and uh, even so, I just was always used to reading books. I always read uh, when I was a kid, so, yeah, books always just fascinated me, and, yeah, I mean, that's just how, like, I've, like, that. Like, me and, and my generation, like, I guess that's how a lot of our improvement was done. Uh, it just feels like something totally new, and it's so easy to shake your fist like, you know, a crotchety old man and say, like, "All oh, these newfangled videos are no good for improvement. I think there's some good that could come from it, as long as you, like, actively learn, but, I mean, the problem is, like, with a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff is not, like, so high quality, in my opinion you know but if but if somebody feels like they got value from it and they're excited about the game, like is it so bad? I don't know, who am I to judge?
0: Yeah, I think um you know on another note, I've bought um chess books on chessable, like like the one to one you know, they take like a chess book and they've turned it into like a chessable <laughs> course, for example, yeah, a hundred end games you must know has been turned into uh, uh, a chessable yeah. course., but there is something to be said about like having the physical book I found is, is much better in a way because on Chessable, you are purely restricted to the main variations. You can't really explore the position on Chessable at all. And you have to do all this work to like, you know, upload the position on Lee chess or chess.com or, you know, chess base, mm-hmm. wherever you want. Um, and I, I think it, for me anyway, it's, it's a lot nicer. I, I just actually bought like six books. Yeah. And I think that that's going you know, <clears> to <throat> improve. So I certainly think um, anybody can improve from books. And I think, Unfortunately, you're right. I think that I mean books in general are kind of a dying art. Everything is being books are PDFs like a physical and, and board, on. even you know. Yeah, I I've never actually owned a physical board, and I've been playing for three years, and I've never owned a. I mean, my brother bought me one, but it was too small. Um, the pieces were so small that you really can't like even play with it like without accidentally knocking down your yeah. own position. So I actually have like never owned a physical board that I would like study. Wow. With. Um, and yeah, it's crazy. And the one time I actually studied chess from a book was like last year. Uh, and my, my cousins, they play chess a little bit and they have this book, it's like Fisher's like 60 mm-hmm. most memorable games. And I was like, well, whatever, I can just find the PDF online. But I decided to like humor myself and, and then I ended up like I went through one of the games and of course Fisher's an amazing player, but um, I actually like just reading the book, I found like this opening idea against the French uh, Sicilian that I always use now. It's like when your opponent enters the French Sicilian, they're trying to transfer into like the con or whatever. D3. But you just yeah, play Kings D3 and, and you end up going. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> so and yeah. I, I had never like seen that before, even though I'd been playing for like two years, but it's like, you know, had I not read that book, I still probably wouldn't have known that idea. And I've won some very nice games and I've like learned more from that. So like, it is nice to have a book in that sense. It's like, you know, even, even if it's, um, like even if it if, even if you think oh well I can just learn everything on YouTube or I can just explore Lee Chess or whatever I I think you get like this instruction, it's like having a teacher but it's even more yeah detailed.
1: it definitely feels more involved and like the thing the thing is like I I read um like with the, with the regarding the physical board I read a, a blog article I believe with Jan Elvist. and a lot of the older school grandmasters are very much in favor of, like, studying chess with a physical board. I mean, that's what we did. That's what I did. And so, yeah, he basically made this argument, like, you can't become a, a car mechanic by looking at a GUI all day, you know? So you must have, like, a physical board. And I've had some tournaments in the past where, like, and I, I don't think this is just my own experience, but, like, I have been a bit too lazy to like, you know, use a physical board or like maybe I was busy and, you know, studying here and there just in these increments. And so like I would set up, I would go to the tournament and then on the physical board, I'd be like, wow, why can't I calculate <laughs> super deep? Because it's very trippy to see 3D pieces, you know, if you haven't, if you're not so used to it um, or course I'm, I'm used to it, but like, yeah, I, it's. I think to a degree it's necessary, but like with the new, I mean, a new generation and all these like new ways to learn, like, I mean, who knows if anybody would be affected by that anymore. So, I
0: mean, I absolutely was affected by it because I, I, again, I had only studied chess, I was exposed to it through like, um, like Agan Mator videos. I started playing on like, uh, on chess.com and then Lee Chess. And I remember going to my first over-the-board tournament and, like, just the, the three-dimensionality of it uh, was completely crazy to me. Like, e- even, like, the openings, the same openings you play and that you study and prepare is, like, there's this aesthetic beauty to it. And that, that is, like, what for me was, like, absolutely, like, hypnotizing. Um, but it also, like, like I, I kind of had the same thing where, like, basic one to two move, like, combinations I could not calculate. Mm-hmm. Um And so I actually now I try to calculate um, everything with my eyes closed because of that when I'm playing like over the board, because that way I I don't like lose. I I basically it's more familiar to me because when I play online, I also just calculate with my eyes closed. Mm. That's kind of how I get around it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that, too. Like there's the famous um, Soviet anti uh, anti blunder technique, um, Blumenfeld's rule. So Blumenfeld, uh, you know, strong player from the Soviet Union era, he would recommend that, like, you, um, like, upon selecting the move, like, you write it down on the score sheet, you cover it up, and then you look away just to break your concentration for a second, and then you return back to the board, just so you can look at it with fresh eyes. Like, there's so many instances where, you know, you calculate for 20 minutes, and then you just blunder something, like, they say, long think, wrong think, right? Um, I mean, I, I believe that's not prohibited any, or, or I believe that's prohibited nowadays by FIDE rules, but um, for some people it could be useful technique. I mean, for me, it's just enough to like select it and then, you know, just look away, break my concentration for a second. And then, you know, it's important to have like some sort of repeatable process um, with thinking and, and move selection. Um, that way it aids consistency.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, I actually, I've never heard of this Blumenfelds rule. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's cheating. If you're writing stuff down online, like on your notebook while you're like playing online. No,
1: you, you write down the move that you're about to play. I mean, okay. Playing online, maybe I'm talking about, uh, over the board tournament, you know, you don't write down the whole variation of course, but like if you're notating the game with your score sheet, like, uh, yeah, you know, you, like, that's what they used to do. Like, I've seen a lot of Soviet era GMs do that, like, uh, Sergei Kudrin. Uh, I remember it. I used to see him do that all the time, uh, write down the move, cover it up with his pencil and then like, think about it. And then, you know, if he liked it, he would make it. And then if he won't change his mind, he crossed cross it out. So, um, that was never really like, for me, uh, you know, I, I didn't really build that habit as a kid. Uh, that's probably better recommended for people who are like blunder prone um so yeah i mean you know whatever it's just a technique you you know anybody could use
0: no that's uh that that is uh that's really really interesting yeah it's a lot of lore in chess Mm -hmm. a lot of uh yeah that's really that's really cool um before we talk about uh the candidates because the candidates just concluded uh yesterday um i read that you had uh on the icc Mm -hmm. you had like rating like thirty one seventy seven or something
1: in blitz, no, it was like it, it closed close, it was like maybe 3160 or something like that. Um, wow, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, that was going back a long time. So, like,
0: was I mean, do, do you still play in the ICC at all? Is, is it is there still like a little ICC? Like, because I think at this point it's become leechess and com.
1: yeah, it definitely has, and like, I, I was talking uh to this to this guy back in the day and like he when Leeches first came out and i thought it was really cool but uh not everybody had migrated uh to a lot of these big sites uh just yet and like he basically told me like icc was dying and i didn't see it but it happened slowly but surely before my eyes um basically like i i haven't really played there seriously since like man, at least 2017 or 18, something like that. Um, I remember being at the World Open, I logged in to play like two Blitz games um, in like 2017. And, but but yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, the competition there is so scarce now. Um, You know, you could never be on the best list uh, for Blitz back in the day with like 2,500, you know, it was like 3,000 or 2,990 minimum. And, you know, you would see, like, this is where Nakamura first um, honed his prowess in online blitz, for example. Like, you'd see him having these rating wars with Grishuk, Mamedov, and um, other Azeri players like Mamajerov, Gusinov. Like, very, very interesting to watch. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, like, a great era for online chess.
0: Is there, is there anything that you're like nostalgic about, about the ICC that like modern sites don't have?
1: Um, I don't know. Was there any feature? I mean, these sites like, okay, leech test is is definitely the best in every single way. Um, But like, I don't know. It's just like, I miss having like that concentration. Like the interface was, was pretty cool. I used, uh, uh, which one did I use? I used Blitzen. Uh, I never liked Dasher that much, but um, yeah, it just it felt like a more of a real gamer gaming experience. Like I never uh played video games growing up or even as an adult. so like ha- having to download the separate interface kind of made it seem like a bit more involved, you know, rather than just like in my browser. Uh, It's It was more uh, it was more of a vibe i'd have to say have you uh
0: since you mentioned this gamer interface i'm wondering if you've checked out kasparov chess because i actually have the closed alpha i don't know maybe if you tried to sign up for that and that is the one thing that i appreciated about it i mean i could tell you more about it um Mm. after this but um basically for like every like couple hundred rating points it's like a like it's like a ranked bracket like you might find in like league of legends or overwatch like they have like beginner like to like ranked like expert term and and then master for like the master level players but like um there's like a color associated with like your elo Mm -hmm. so like if so like i think where i'm at which is like 1900 is like red below me is like blue i don't exactly remember because there's also just zero competition on there right now but the one vibe I got from it is it very much felt like, you know, um like like gamer territory basically.
1: Okay, for sure. Um yeah, I had a uh I yeah, my old roommate, um uh who you've probably seen on my Twitter feed, Unk, he's a, a really great up-and-coming um electronic music producer. Um he at one point was a professional Counter-Strike player and he like also was super super into Dota and like so I'm familiar with some of these uh I think they call it MMRs and stuff yeah, like MMR. that. MmR, yeah, MMR. Right. Yeah. So uh yeah, I mean I think I think that's interesting, you know, it could add a new new dimension, especially with the chess boom and like so many new people, like a lot of gamers too coming in uh to chess. Maybe that could be something interesting. Personally, I haven't really uh seen that. That website, I've, like I said, I've mostly just kind of been chilling offline, like just writing the book and gathering material. But um, I saw a few things about it. it seems pretty new. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's very modern. I think um, I I don't believe it's really going to I think well, it's definitely better than chess 24. Um, I will say that <laughs> I, I think everything is better than like chess 24 yeah. has has very good coverage. But I, like chess 24 as a site is, is absolutely horrible. And I even think the new the new update that they're doing, I think they basically just pirated all the open source code from from Lee Chess. So I guess it's not really pirating, but I mean, the interfaces and the feel are so similar that, um, I mean, it's like, it's basically just like Lee Chess, like 1.5, except not better. Um, So that's how I feel about Chess24. I think that the Kasparov Chess, um, the thing is, I think the subscription is like $14, which is like, that's a lot of money. Like I think, like I think, like like diamond, diamondchess.com is nine dollars a month. You know, so like fourteen dollars a month is a lot. And what because mm-hmm. chess does have is it has these videos with like MVL. Anish Giri has all it has this nice stuff like where it's like you know long videos like ten minute videos where they talk about like thought like ideas and stuff like that. But are people really going to be paying fourteen a month for that? I I don't know. I'm so I'm not sure the demand is really there.
1: I mean. I'm not sure, like, because I was never much of a a video watcher, uh, you know, for as far as like chess content was concerned. Like, if you, anytime you give me a PGN, like, I mean, I, I can, and some light annotations, like, I can speak that language, you know, that's fine. Um, It would depend on, on what, like, content they had. Like, maybe if MVL would discuss the Nidor for Grunfeld, like, okay, chances are he probably won't reveal anything like super interesting, but like, that could be a marketing point, you know, he doesn't want to like shoot himself in the foot or like, like if they're basically like, what I want to see is like more people trying to cover gaps in like existing literature or content, you know, I think that's definitely going to be the way to go. So yeah, I mean, if if people want to see what if they love MVL and they want to see what he has to say about the the Grunfeld, yeah, for sure, I think people would pay for it. But if they're just kind of generic videos, like, then I don't I don't know, you know. Yeah,
0: I, I will say the production value is very high. Like they got all these guys in the studio, like you know, with all these mm-hmm. cameras around them. I think it's very flashy. They also have um like like chess documentaries like like 30 for 30 like i don't know if you're a sports fan but like kind of like 30 for 30
1: i've never no i've yeah. never seen that
0: so 30 for 30 is like an espn thing where they like just tell you like, like 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 sports stories um and so they have like chess stories like they talked about chess boxing in india i think like a 10 oh that's thing. cool and it's like you know you will not get that anywhere else but i mean i'm also like it, it is the modern age like what yeah. is the chance that somebody's not going to just pirate it
1: and throw it on youtube Like, oh, of course, or, or, you know, one of the numerous forums. Like, I think, um, you know, like, okay, the, the production value is nice. And like, of course that makes it great for marketing, but like, it depends on who their target audience is. Like, for example, a guy like me or some of my colleagues, like, like, we don't care. You could be filming in a dumpster, like, and, you know, grainy video. Blair, it looks like the Blair Witch Project, the camera's shaking every three seconds, but, you know, give me some good content. Like, what's your PGN file look like? You know, what do you, what, like, what kind of enrichment are you providing um, or contribution with that video? So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's like, I, I really don't know about that. Like, I just saw that recently, like on, on Twitter, like some people were chattering about Kasparov chess though. So. Uh, you know, he, I think he tried a similar venture too, in the early 2000s, I or late nineties. Wow. Yeah. I think, yeah, there was like a big, a tournament, which I actually don't think he won. I think he lost to your own Piquette. I think it might've been like some sort of game 60, um, knockout tournament. And yeah, I remember it being quite a stir when he, he lost to Piquet. um, Back then, who sadly doesn't really play chess uh, much anymore. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how how this would turn out. You know, back then he was an active chess player, and for whatever reason, the the side folded. So now that he doesn't really have that kind of stress uh, as an active player, like I'm sure he and his team can go full steam ahead on that.
0: Yeah, and I also I think he has some really really like crazy investors in this project too, like like. Chess twenty four level in investment. So um, again, I'm not sure when, when Lee Chess is totally free and people are making free content, like you know, uploading books, like like uh, like basically as their own PGNs and stuff. I'm 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 not really sure that that um, it's going to be for everybody, but I do think it is going to shake up the market. Yeah, and for uh, sure. Yeah. Speaking of Anish Giri and MVL, I would be remiss if we did not use uh, this podcast as opportunity to talk mm-hmm. about the candidates. Uh, were you rooting for anybody in the candidates, uh, at the start at, you know, after a year you know, when they came back, was there anything, were you paying attention? Uh,
1: I mean, I was following the games. I mean, but really, like I said, I don't like, I don't care that much. Like, I don't care like who wins really. Um, I mean, like, first of all, like what you have to understand about me is like, I'm not really a sports fan. Uh, how do I really care to like watch things live? So like I it like that none of that matters and like all that like with rooting a team like it, you know who like whomever is gonna play the best like yeah that that's the guy that should win. Um I was following the games uh pretty closely. Uh there were some interesting like highlights for me, at least uh in the chess content terms, uh you know, at the start of the tournament and then a year later. Uh I had I but you know i i actually maybe i kind of lied there i i really have been saying for years that ding Liren uh is like a future challenger for the world championship and you know because he was from china he was like the only person at the start of the tournament to quarantine for two weeks with no seconds or anything like that i think wang hao also i think also had to
0: uh, I okay. I I wasn't. But he might have been there early, actually, because I know I remember that yeah. people focus on Ding's quarantine way more. Well,
1: yeah, he wasn't coming from China though. Uh, was Wang Hao? Uh, from my understanding, so I don't know if that was necessarily the case. I mean, and you know, Wang Hao like plays uh amazing. You know, I remember when he was like in two thousand five. I was looking this up. He came ahead. As an untitled player, rated 2484 of uh, 53 grandmasters and like 30 international masters, that was the figure in the Dubai Open, which is one of the largest open tournaments um, in the world at that time. And he still is like a very strong, strong tournament. And to come out on top when he was like, what, 16 or something like that, 15 or 16, it was really remarkable. So. Um, he plays very interesting chess to very wide variety of openings. Um, I mean, but it, but like, I mean, those are the players that I, I really like. And, but, you know, again, I'm not really like rooting for anybody in particular. Like if you play the best, like, okay, you deserve to win. So.
0: And I think it was, it's very upsetting news
1: that he retired. Uh, Kao. Yeah. I mean, so about that, I think, you know, he's Disappointing performance in the candidates probably um, doesn't lend itself well to further career prospects because uh, China, being uh, sort of like the way the the sports uh, model is structured, there you know the older players at some point are going to give like give way or you know start teaching. The younger generation, like I remember, uh, Grandmaster Ni Hua, who was like a 2700 player, um, had many battles with him on ICC. Very interesting and and very dynamic player. Like he had written in an interview somewhere that like he was having trouble getting sponsorship from his federation, or maybe they weren't doing it because they said, "Okay, you're old now, basically, and you have to coach." So I think the prospect of that looming large and, you know, maybe such a disappointing finish, probably was too much for him, you know? Um, but like the stress at that level is really high. And at some point, you know, do you really want to be trying to find all these micro improvements in the Berlin defense? Is that how you want to be spending most of your time? And whatever it's, it's very stressful at at the top level, you know, your whole life has to be devoted to chess. And so if you're, not fully into it mentally then okay it would make sense but i mean yeah that that would be a shame you know and just because he retires maybe it just means he doesn't have like any ambitions anymore for like playing another candidate's tournament like he qualified through gibraltar if i'm not mistaken right the open uh, he,
0: well he qualified i think by winning the fide grand Swiss. or yeah
1: exactly yeah one of those big ones so uh i mean that had to come as a bit of a surprise. You know, and like, if they have another qualifier like that, like you know whatever, who knows, maybe he can take it down again, like he's twenty seven hundred he's he's very salty, he could play great, so uh it probably just means like maybe he will play open open events like like everybody else now, um nowadays, even the world champions play open events, so you know i don't I don't think we've seen the last of him, but who yeah. knows, yeah. and you know whatever my my thoughts go out to him because I I think he's a very interesting player and I hope he's going to do well in the future. Yeah. And I
0: thought, you know, especially considering, I think like, just on chess Twitter that a lot of people like both affiliated with FIDE and not were, were, were very critical of him. And I would, you know, I thought that was a little, little upsetting that he were, I, I don't think anybody's really checking social media or anything like that, but I, you know, I, I, I feel like, you, you know, it's kind of like criticizing like a basketball player in their last season and then they just retire. And it's like, well, like, people are saying all these nasty things on the way out. And mm-hmm. I can't really appreciate the fact that, you know, he's 31, really at the peak of his power, if you look at Elo. And um I mean, there's also something to be said about what you said about, um you know, like how like chess works in China. Like I think about guys like uh, Wang Yu and uh, Bu Zhang xi mm-hmm. uh, they also, they were all 2,700 and, and kind of just disappeared from, from, like, the like the chess world, like, as as quickly as they made a mark.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know what they're doing nowadays. I mean, you see their games pop up every now and then in the, like, Chinese uh, team championship or whatever, where they have, like, a, a nice mix of Chinese players and, uh, you know, some mercenaries that they've recruited, um, some heavy hitters. But, you know, if we were to draw anything from... Uh, any conclusions or from Nihua's interview, like if they decide to stick with chess, like they they probably are doing it largely in a training capacity. You know, I don't want to start any rumors, of course, but like um, I mean, I just found that to be a very enlightening comment by Nihua because I too was wondering why am I seeing less of this guy, you know,
0: yeah, but I think also doesn't China have its own chess league too, like like kind of like the Bundesliga.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'm also wondering, you know, while we talk about the candidates, was there any game that was like your favorite um, just to watch or to follow?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, there was some like interesting, like theoretical developments in the candidates that I was following. Um, I think like really important was, uh, like right before the tournament was paused was, uh, LaGrav's, game with uh where he won against him in the the french winnower with this line h4 um it's a line i've been i've kept my eye on since i was a kid and i have always liked it i've played queen g4 as well aiming for like poison pawn type stuff and you know i've always believed in h4 and it's just kind of nice to see that test at the highest level um you know morozevich kasparov like they had messed around with it as well um and yeah, that was a very theoretically important game. Uh, and yeah, I, like I said, I, I played it myself, taught it to some students. So it was just kind of nice to see that, um, the theory there being enriched. I mean, that's kind of more like the stuff I pay attention to.
0: Were you, uh, were you following, uh, Geary's, uh, like miraculous comeback that almost, almost worked at all?
1: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting, you know, I, uh, but like, yeah, unfortunately, like he just, fell short at the end. I mean, any of these, any, any guy to play Carlson will be interesting. Like I think Nepomni versus him will be a very interesting match. Um, you know, like, I think Ivan Sokolov said something on Twitter about like putting, like he can put Magnus in an unusual psychological situation with like how fast he plays. And, you know, really what I, I kind of like about Nipomnishi is that he comes with like a lot of new ideas that, you might have never seen before um and he has like a pretty wide opening repertoire like you know obviously his mainstay is the Grunfeld but like he can break out the Leningrad Dutch if he needs to um he likes to play e4 but like any like almost any top player you know he can you know serve with d4 or c4 or knight f3 even I think as he played in the penultimate round
0: yeah, I mean, I I think I completely agree with that assessment. I, I know that when I had JJ, I think he was he was uh, also I think I think he was also like uh, rooting for Nepo. Um, I remember at the start I was rooting for MVL, um, and I still was rooting for MVL to to like kind of maintain his lead. But obviously, like Fabiano completely dismantled him, and I think that just was like a horrible, horrible, horrible nightmare of a of a game to have. Um, you know, mm-hmm. your first game over the board like for the candidates after a year. Uh was amazing prep by Fabiano. But for me, that's the game of the tournament. Um that 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 like that double piece sacrifice
1: mm-hmm. all prep. Um, yeah. I mean when you play such sharp openings like that, you're you kind of expose yourself to to this stuff. Because like Queen B6, uh in that poison pawn, it's be- black's basically saying, Well, show me, you know. Um, why could it force a draw virtually at will? Um and, you know, Black knows all that, but, like, you can find, like, little ideas here here and there to test your opponent's preparation, and, you know, it's hard to gain an advantage in any major opening, any, like, established opening nowadays. So, like, a lot of times you have to resort to checking your, the opponent's preparation. Like, notice Fabiano's novelty didn't really change the evaluation of the of the poison pawn. It didn't go to being, like, refuted or anything like that, but he was checking MVL's preparation and, you know, a lot of times. Yeah. Basically like you'll have situations. Like I remember this game, uh, Kamsky Nakamura from the U S championships where Kamsky introduced this novelty in the London system, this early, like G4, H4, like pawn sacrifice. And then Nakamura blitzed out the correct reaction to return the pawn. And like that position had never occurred before, but they had already gone exploring in the same path. So, um, yeah a lot of times like you do have to just check your preparation you can't really shake the i mean it's, it's so hard to just shake the evaluation of, of such established uh openings you know
0: and you mentioned that you were a, you were a second for a grandmaster so do you mm-hmm. do a lot of um you know helping him prepare for his tournaments are you doing a lot of that kind of like opening prep or is it just more of like uh more like a like a i don't want to say like
1: training in the like Oh, no, no, I can't I can't train that guy. I mean, if anything, man, he helps me out so much. but like, um, no, so, so with Nicola, like, yeah, you know, sometimes we um, yeah, basically, like, I'll help him prepare for the games. I mean, if we have specific pairings, the better. Um, but if not, like we will call on a regular basis and talk about maybe a new idea that one of us had or you know, maybe this this book came out. Um, hey, this like concerns one of our repertoires. We have to repair this or see what the recommendation is to fix that. You know, it's important to keep up to date with current literature. Although it's funny, like um old old school GMs like him, they like they don't really like read the opening books like that. Um, and very often they can like ref- like kind of come up with answers like on on spec, like in the first five minutes of seeing it. So that's been cool just to see that. But yeah, it's it's usually a lot of opening preparation. Um, I would say one of our best preparations that we did was I showed him this uh, attacking scheme in the Taimanov Sicilian uh, for White. Uh, he was going to play Jordan Van Forest in the Pro Chess League. And... We had studied this attacking scheme and I, we were like breaking down some of the ideas. And then, like, he kind of sat on it for a little bit. He came back with some refinements and then we were like, okay, this is good to go. And he, what well, was so surprising to me it was Van uh, Forest, even back then, I believe it was 2018, had such a wide opening repertoire. And he was just able to guess, like, so easily, like what he would play. Like, he just had a feeling that he couldn't explain to me, but he wanted to focus most of his time on that. And then what we prepared, basically, like he just destroyed him without even thinking like very along, much along the lines of what we had prepared. So that was an example of one of our like really good preparations.
0: Uh, what team did he play on, on the pro chess league? Just curious.
1: He played. Uh, so Nicola was, uh, uh, he has been Andrew Tang's uh, longtime coach for like years. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, and so, or at least one of them. I don't know if Andrew works with other people, but like you know, I even remember working on some stuff uh, for Andrew um, indirectly, like because Nicola would ask me a question, and uh, yeah, so because of Andrew, they he would play on their Pro Chess League team from Minnesota. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, I remember that's actually one of, the, one of the first ways that I got kind of exposed to top-level chess is watching Pro Chess League on Twitch. Mm. And uh, that's also how I learned about the Marshall Chess Club because I would watch uh, from New York. So I would watch New York Marshals. And uh, okay. like that, that they've been my team. Like, not that it really matters. But, um, I mean, now that there's this Magnus Carlsen chess tour, I don't think there really has been too much Pro Chess League stuff recently. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's really cool, actually.
1: Mm-hmm yeah yeah it's interesting like I remember back in the day when it was the the U.S. Chess League um uh speaking for myself I am honored to have played the to have won the last game ever for the now extinct Chicago Blaze um we made it I think who were we playing New York in the final and I beat uh, what was his name John Fernandez he's like a strong he's like a high expert or a lower master um something like that but yeah i was black in a, a philidor i I beat him and then unfortunately angelo young lost to uh matthew herman and um mezgin amanov missed i believe a chance to gain a significant edge against kashashvili but he got ground down and dmitry Gurevich was only uh able to draw irina Krush, so that was our last match um if we if we won that match or even if we tied it, we would go to the playoffs. And are you aware of the I don't know if the Pro Chess League has this format, but were you aware of the USCL uh, playoff
0: format? So I've never heard of the USCL, but I know that with the Pro Chess League, isn't it they'd like go to San Francisco or something, or or maybe it's not San Francisco. Maybe I'm okay. confusing
1: it, but I think like yeah, it was like a travel. Oh, they had it the in in person, right? Yeah, so like basically with the USCL like if the match is tied, like I'm talking about that type of playoff format to have a decision like in one of these uh like important matches, I think a regular season match, maybe they keep they kept the tie, I'm not sure. But um what they would do is they would they would have blitz playoffs. So you would start with uh the board 4 and he would play the board 4, right? And then let's say I beat their board 4 then I faced their board three. And then if I beat him, like I could potentially buzzsaw the entire team. You know, I believe that's how they started out. And it, it was pretty interesting that, that was back when it was held on ICC. And I, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing that return, you know, especially like, you know, every, everybody plays blitz. And I just, I always liked the idea of a blitz playoff, like even for in-person tournaments here in the Midwest, um, like they used to have, splits uh playoffs to decide like who gets the extra money and then the title and i just kind of miss that
0: yeah and you know i think what's cool about like team chess uh that that's i think something that like online chess the direction it really could go like if you consider like counter-strike and dota and stuff like that like people can just assemble teams you know given their playing style like you know or rank and uh like in in those games and you know just you match it up against similar teams and you like kind of climb the ladder and become you know, you gain recognition and I don't see why you couldn't have something similar. I know they have all this like daily and team chess that you can do, but it's not really like the same feel as if you had something like, like pro chess league style teams where you are just like, you know, you and three other people, maybe as someone like a sub and, and you know, playing on Lee chess or whatever. I think that would be a lot of fun. Like really would be a lot of fun to be on one of those kinds of teams it Would give people a lot of reason to mm-hmm. improve, and you'd get competition across like any level.
1: I think so. I mean, I but I also like think that at the same time, like due to the like high volume of of cheating online, um there has to be like some sort of like video feed, like we have to have a, a like a proctor, like that's a fide arbiter or something, like that's what we had when we played our match um uh, my friend Akash Meduri when he played the uh US amateur uh playoff team um like they had to play it all in one place uh and they had to have a proctor you know that was gonna monitor the game so I think like to be able to install that is important but of course like it's I mean it's it it's cool that any just anybody could assemble a team and um I don't know how easy it would be to cheat at those other games that you mentioned like Counter-Strike but um, I, I had a discussion with my roommate, we were with my old roommate rather, uh, about that a long time ago, but you know, I don't know if they're suffering the same like type of problems that we are.
0: I, I think, I think there's just robots. Um, it, it's too obvious. Like people are too perfect, but I, people get caught using aim bots. I think it's different because it's much easier to catch. Cause to, you have to like, kind of, it's not like chess, which is like, you know, on a web browser, you have to like actually hack the, the interface. You have to actually like, yeah, right. Yeah. You have to like go into like the, the code and like install like an like aimbot or whatever. And then it, so it's very obvious and you the, the, can be detected by the game itself. It can also just be detected by other players very easily. And then, so I don't think it's nearly as much of a problem. I mean, with chess, it's as easy, you know, our phones are, of course, just better than us. So it really is as easy as just to like, yeah. I, I think that's true with cheating in general online. But, you know, that's why I think the future for online chess really is blitz because it's much harder to cheat i think when you're playing blitz i think it's more obvious um uh even
1: still there's no i mean it's it's still possible but i mean like yeah in in theory yeah it should be i mean you could cheat a lot more comfortably in a slow game i I agree with that
0: and i mean it's like tigran l petrosian right with uh with armenia's pro chess league team Mm -hmm. just a couple of months ago i think he was accused of cheating and like got his account deleted from chess.com right yeah Well, yeah, my last question for you, um, it's something I've asked everybody. Um, so of course you've, you've done a lot of teaching. I'm wondering, um, if there's one opening that you would teach, uh, you know, across all levels, um, just like, you know, universally, what would that be? It could be white, black, whatever, whatever you want.
1: Oh man, I forgot this was always your last question. Um, I only listened to JJ's episode, but oh uh, man, I actually didn't prepare an answer. Yeah, no this. problem. You but I mean, I'll add it. Like so, uh, okay. I've been. I mean, I'd have to say, the Sicilian, but that's like so broad, you know. Um, so like, I would rather than teaching an opening, I think I would teach uh, a structure, because that is going to be like more sustainable, um, in the long run, and like. If you're familiar with the that structure, um, then you could apply it to a lot of different uh variations or sub-variations. So like I would probably teach the Skeveningan structure, um, and then kind of examine like its its relatives, like the Taimanov or Khan Sicilians, where you're delaying D6. Um, but the small center of the Sicilian, it's really like the heart of the Sicilian. Um I believe that was a quote by uh, or that was the title of a chess informant article of like several volumes ago by uh, Milos Perunovic. And yeah, I've I've heard that said throughout the years Jan Elvis in his book uh, Story of a Chess Player, um, you know, he's a former like world like number 5, I believe. Uh he had also said that in his book. Like he started off his Sicilian career by being taught the Skeneingen and, and um Yeah, I mean that flexible pawn structure lends itself to a lot of uh, interesting options and one of my philosophies in the opening and is to maintain like a very flexible pawn structure like especially two with black. Um, It's kind of why I've stayed away from like let's say the dragon uh, or the Sveshnikov variation because those pawn structures are rather rigid like if you notice in the dragon variation, for example, you're not really. like in the Yugoslav attack, the most critical line, you're not uh, playing in the center so much with your opponents. Most of the action is, you know, consisting of bombarding the opponent's king with pieces. And so, um, I mean, it's just a different philosophy. I mean, that's just what what I'm comfortable with, but I could, I've always thought it was incorrect for a teacher to teach only like one opening, like a set repertoire for all their students. I've never really agreed with that. I think every student is different. They have unique needs. So I could adjust to that. But, like, you know, if somebody would like to learn the Sicilian, yeah, I would probably start there at the Skeveningen structure.
0: No, uh, that's, I mean, that's great. I know the first Sicilian, actually, the first opening I really study was actually the dragon. And that's, that's why I think I improved a lot learning the dragon. But I also think I hit a wall very quickly because um, there is something to be said about those, those rigid structures, like when you're just starting to play. And I've never recommended, I've, I've actually, honestly, I've never even studied the the Union. So now nah, I'm going to take a look at that. So thank you. Um, Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, I, I will make sure to plug your book when it comes out, please keep me posted. Um, awesome. Doing whatever we can to hashtag shrink the game. Um, oh
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also too, for any interested viewers, sorry to cut you off, but I do have a, a YouTube channel I have like at least a thousand views on the I, I did a video on um, when I beat Magnus Carlson uh, and I didn't even know it was him uh, actually it, an online game it was on ICC actually and so I tell the story there we I analyze the game um, and then I made this uh, this chess lesson uh, called invisible mistakes in chess and so like I talk about some things that are some errors in chess that are I feel are common, but not easily seen. So, uh, you know, please check those out. I, I think you guys will learn quite a bit.
0: And your, your YouTube
1: channel is just your name. Yeah. Just my name. Uh, Gopal Menon. Well, first Gopal, name last
0: that's, I will make sure to, uh, to include that in my tweet. Um, awesome. Thank you. Speaking of which, uh, podcast listeners, you can check me out on Twitter at 64 podcast, but I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast and I will see you next week. Goodbye. Awesome.
1: Thank you, guys.